Welcome to the Listening Party podcast for May 1st, 2020. I'm your host, Rebecca Haas, the Director of Community Engagement for Pacific Opera. The Listening Party is a time when we get together as friends in this virtual reality. We connect as a community through sharing music and stories from the world of opera. On the podcast today, I speak with three artists who are but a small slice of the many performing artists who are sharing their talents online right now. I've been a professional singer, teacher, mentor in opera for over 30 years, and my Facebook is filled with students and colleagues singing from home. It surprises people when I tell them that while I love to sing, I don't usually do it at home alone to amuse myself. Professional singers learn what they're hired to learn. We're project-driven as a rule and usually to a performance deadline. There doesn't tend to be a lot of singing at home for fun. So it surprised me how everyone is recording a song and sharing it. Today on the podcast, I'm going to introduce you to three performers who've gone further than posting a song. What drives them to do it, I wondered. How is it feeding their souls and What's it like to perform with no audience to applaud at the end? These artists inspire me. I respect each of them for their craft, but I also admire the bold ways that they're staying creatively alive in this time of social isolation and distancing. You might think that an artist longs for the applause at the end of the show, the glory, the adulation of thousands applauding for you in the dark, but I think you'll find in each of these interviews that the artists reveal what they truly long for. If you're new to the podcast, I do suggest you listen all the way through to the interviews and then follow up with the Listening Party playlist by using the Spotify link provided on our webpage. Each week, my guests curate a special playlist that includes music we discuss in the podcast and more. If you want to dig deeper into their choices, you can also read the liner notes that accompany each episode. Let's get started. My first guest is a very old friend of mine. Doug McNaughton is a Canadian baritone from Brandon, Manitoba. Doug and I were young artists together at the Canadian Opera Company in the mid-1980s and members of their ensemble program. Now this was back in the day when the Canadian Opera Company used to tour across Canada and Doug and I were part of the Marriage of Figaro that toured the East. Doug is so much more than an opera singer, and he always was. He's a true Renaissance man. He plays many instruments, he speaks many languages, he writes songs, poems. He's an expert on many things, although he would deny it. He's always interesting to have a conversation with. And while he does all these new adventures in his life, he maintains a career as a soloist. Doug has a very unique project underway, and he spoke to me from the location that he gives his concerts from. Where are you? <laughs> okay. okay. Where I'm currently living is... Um, the car. <laughs> at, at my in-laws place. No, I'm not living in the car, <laughs> mercifully. I'm at my in-laws place, which is about nine kilometers to the southeast of downtown Guelph. Okay. And it's this beautiful location. You know, and the, the property was severed from a dairy farm uh, because uh, you, really, you really can't do anything agricultural with it. Uh, it, the slope is too steep. Um, the north end of it used to be a dairy farm. Now they just do horses. Uh, and the south end of it is the Aramasa River. Uh, and so, yeah, it's this beautiful, stunning location. But there's always a but in there. Um, the nearest cell phone tower is two clicks away. 
and we're down the hill from it. And, you know, we, we just don't get a very good signal. So internet is commodity. So I, I'm just in the habit of anything major I need to do. I drive or cycle into the nearest library and they've very kindly left their Wi-Fi on. I think it's, I think it's a brilliant solution and it's a pretty good connection. So I'm grateful. Yes. <laughs> and well, it's then, apropos because your concerts are from this very car that I'm speaking to you from. That is correct. Uh, well, I'm just thinking it's, we've been seeing people's uh, bedrooms, kitchens, uh, whatever they consider their office space to be like, we're seeing really personal views, but I have not yet interviewed someone who's been in a car. So this is a first for me. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, there's an advantage to it. The car is cleaner. <laughs> and what kind of car are you in? Just so I, I want to place you properly. Uh, a 2010 Mazda 5. Nice. And big enough in the back seat for you and the guitar. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, uh, its name is Rocinante. That's uh, Don Quixote's horse. Uh, you know, uh, uh, an exterior view would sort of reveal that, oh, yeah, <laughs> that car's been through a bit, too. <laughs> Keeping Doug on topic was a challenge, partly because he's an old friend and we laugh too much when we're together, and partly because he has a lot of interests on the go all the time. I did my best to keep us on topic. I asked Doug, why did he feel compelled to create a concert series, even if it meant doing it in a library parking lot from the back seat of his old Mazda? It's sort of like asking, why do I have to have a conversation with somebody else? And the answer is, you know, ultimately, no, I don't. I can have perfectly good conversations with myself. Um, people might lock me up if they caught me at it, but... Um, a concert is a communication. It is a conversation. Um, and sometimes it's really important to have the conversation, even though the other side of the conversation isn't necessarily able to respond as directly as they would in a face-to-face -face conversation over coffee or, 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 or dinner or whatever. Um, it, it's an unfortunate thing uh, about these, because I'm the only one doing this, uh, people will comment live, but I can't, I can't see it until the whole thing's done. Which, you know, so, so some of that's good and some of that's bad. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to be distracted, but at the same time, if someone sends me a message at like one minute, 30 seconds to say, you know, you've got a giant chunk of kale hanging between your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd like to get that one, you know, before the full half hour is done. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to guess that in a live performance, no one's been yelling that from the audience at you either. <laughs> so I'm not sure if the comment stream is equal to the audience experience, where normally people sit very quietly and applaud politely after the first cycle is done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, still, I mean, you do occasionally get surprising unsolicited responses from a live audience that's that's part of the joy of the whole whole thing yeah i i, I remember I, this is going back ages a production of rigoletto at canadian opera company and someone had a seeing eye dog with them at the matinee performance and in the middle of the count's aria in the third act something about his high note made the dog go, Arr! and for, for us on stage, it sounded like a boo. And we were all like, what? You know, I mean, come on, you're not even going to let him finish before you boo him. 
and you know, and and and, and we, we were baffled by it, and, and especially because you know he was doing really well that day, and then later on we got the word from front of house. No, that that wasn't a boo. That was like someone's seeing eye German Shepherd that just reacted. So um, I'm assuming you have not heard dogs because I'm sure you mute everybody. But when you go back and read the comments, what kind of feedback are you getting from people? It, it's it's been incredibly positive. Um, I mean, for, first off, um, the the stuff I'm doing right now is all my own material, uh, which unless you've been a real aficionado of open mics in Toronto for the last couple of years, you might not have heard any of my original pieces. That was kind of a was kind of a leap for me to be doing that, and and so. You know, there's multiple things, right? People are saying really nice things about the performances. People are saying really nice things about the repertoire, uh, and people are saying really nice things about, you know, the the strange, quirky creativity of. Well, I I couldn't do this at home like most of the other folks, but uh, you know, it, it it's a way of staying in the game. Favorite compliment so far? What's the best thing you've read? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I, I, a couple of really positive responses to a rhyme that I didn't think I would get away with. Because uh, <laughs> uh, in, uh, uh, in the one song, Lullaby of Hope, you know, I, I was talking about how the news is hideous, frightful, and covidious. And I thought, oh, man, no. <laughs> I'm going I'm to get such flack for that one. And no, a bunch of people said, oh, that's cool. I wouldn't have thought of that one. That's a pretty great rhyme but he's writing his own songs? You know, that's pretty rare in my experience. Opera singers see themselves as interpreters, usually, not as creators. But Doug just puts himself out there in surprising ways. I asked him why he's singing in the car for his online concerts, and he does eventually tell me why, but it takes a bit. Here's Doug. So, this has its roots in, uh, I don't know if you know this, I was a TTC subway musician, from 2004 until 2007. And there very much is an aesthetic of, you know, do it yourself or leave it out with with busking. Then somewhere around, I don't know, 2007, 2008, I had this bright idea of what about getting a body of repertoire together that's meant for a singer and a guitarist, ideally one and the same person. Uh, and especially making it for baritone. There's more baritones than there are tenors out there in the world. But most of the repertoire we immediately think of when we talk about voice and guitar, it's either all that stuff that uh, Julian Bream and Peter Pierce uh, put together in the mid-60s, uh, or if they go back to like, you know, John Doland and Thomas Campion and all that, all that Elizabethan stuff. Most of that Elizabethan stuff tends to be played in tenor keys. It doesn't have to be, but it, it just generally is. So there's a ton of guitar rep out there, guitar and voice rep out there that's for tenors. What about us baritones? Uh, and so, you know, the, there's an album I've got out and part of the aesthetic, like this goes all the way, this is why I'm like telling you all this long backstory. The cover for the album is me and Benji the dog in our driveway 
and the neighbor's car just doesn't happen to be there. So there's like, you know, lots of space. And there's me in a, in a Muskoka chair with the dog sort of standing beside me. And the top half of me is in like, you know, uh, 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 tie and tails. And the bottom half of me is wearing like jeans and sneakers. And, you know, the, the gate of the car is open. And the implication is pretty strong, you know. This guy can like drive anywhere in his car and play a concert at the back of his car. So that whole aspect of, you know, I, I, I love the notion of portability. I, I mean, I, I like, like most people, I have this deep-seated love affair with the car, right? Um, uh, growing up in Brandon, Manitoba, and because most of the really good concerts happened in Winnipeg and didn't necessarily pass through Brandon, so you get used to that, you know, 200 click drive, you know, we, we do that on average a couple of times a month. It's where we went, you know, we went to Manitoba Theater Center in Winnipeg. We went to Winnipeg Symphony. Well, the opera was there. Um, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you all the concerts I saw there, you know, long drives uh, were just part of growing up. So it, the song that I'm kind of developing is, it's all about my experience as a kid being asleep in the back seat of the car while my dad drove at night and the dogs you know asleep between the seats you know in front of me and just the profound sense of security that that provided and fast forward to now when i'm the guy in the driver's seat and it's my kids asleep in the back seat of the car and i now realize how unbelievably tense a situation that is because you know i'm behind the wheel i'm seeing all these jerks coming at us or, you know, whipping past us. And no, this is not calming. This is not relaxing at all. So it's sort of like a, you know, part of it is an homage to, you know, thank you, thank you, dad, thank you, mom, for giving me that feeling, even though I now know that feeling was, you know, not based in reality. <laughs> but yeah, so something about cars, something about music, um, it, it, it kind of ties in for me. All three of the artists I speak with today on the podcast struggle with their relationship with the lack of audience in online posting. Audiences give performers energy. It's energy that becomes a feedback that the artist uses intuitively to inform their performance. And as Doug said at the beginning, what it really creates is a conversation. It goes both ways. That whole question alive, you know, it, uh, uh, Glenn Gould hated it, but I, I, I kind of love the living on the edge, the idea that at any moment, you know, a cop may come and rap on the window and say, what are you doing in there? <laughs> but that hasn't happened yet, right? <laughs> Not yet. I live in hope. I'm, no, I'm, and, you know, th that was the thing on the subway. Man, you have to know your stuff so deep and so well, because while you're playing, no one is necessarily paying any attention to you. They're just going about their lives and what they're doing. So, you know, the little kid who goes by and gives you the finger, uh, the somewhat older kid who's, you know, making out with his girlfriend as they walk, you know, from the escalator to the, to, to the next train. And, you know, if, if you're not just early engrossed in your material, you'll sort of go and drop a chord or, you know, play a clanger. What an amazing leap of faith for an opera singer who's used to creating something as close to perfection as possible in very controlled circumstances, and also performing in a place where they are completely the object of undivided attention. 
what a leap to move to standing at a subway station at Young and Bloor and just playing and often being ignored. Maybe that's the experience that has really prepared Doug for the lack of interplay and response that online performing gives him. So what's the silver lining about being pushed as a performer to create a concert in a car? I asked Doug, what's he learning about himself? This is the thing about us as creative people, and I deeply believe this is about us as humans, right? This is the nature of our creativity. What happens to us that, you know, closes one door, causes us to think of some other way to open a window or, you know, to go in the basement or, you know, um, uh, there's a fantastic line from Stephen Fearing. We were born to be creators. It's the birthright of our kind and all our senses mm -hmm. into the Oh, no. G give me a minute. It it it'll come. I mean, I mean, I particularly remember the first two I did. And all the senses of our minds. So raise your glass or dip your bucket down into the well. Because we're all out on the wilderness. Ah. Mm -hmm. uh. You know, I've got internet. I could just look up those lyrics. I've never done that song. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Like, like everything that happens, it depends on how you look at it. Um, it can be a setback or it can be the grain of sand that, you know, produces a pearl somewhere later down the road. And, you know, often it's both. During this pandemic, when I'm working from home and missing my friends, and my usual life, I really appreciate Doug reminding me about this perspective. The grain of sand, which can produce a pearl, even though it's pretty irritating and tough at the time. For those of you who don't know the song that Doug was trying to share, he was kind enough to send me the lyrics after our interview. These lyrics are from Stephen Freering's song, Carousel. We were born to be creators. It's the birthright of our kind. And all our senses pour this world into the fountain of our mind. So raise your cup or dip your bucket down into the well. Close your eyes, my brother, and drink deeply of that spell. Old friend, old friend, why do you deny yourself? Why do you pretend? Old friend, old friend, get back on that horse and ride again. Doug livestreams his concerts on Facebook, and the next concert is May 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. He will be performing new songs that he's been working on for the last few weeks. Doug gave me a taste of it by sharing a song from the back seat in our interview, and I felt that you should see that as video. So you'll find that link on the Listening Party podcast page, which you can take a look at. Hi there, I'm Kinza Tyrrell sometimes referred to as Dr. Tyrrell, as I have a doctorate, but Kinza Tyrrell. And I am a pianist and a coach, a repetitor, diction specialist. I have other jobs I do as well, but um, my main vocation is with Vancouver Opera, and I also teach music at the University of Victoria. Kinza and I met years ago when I was a guest artist with Edmonton Opera in a production of South Pacific. 
her husband and her brother-in-law were actually supernumeraries in the show and carried me around as Bloody Mary in a musical number. Our paths have crossed many times since then at different opera companies and in different roles, including in her time at Vancouver Opera and in her role at the University of Victoria. It was really wonderful to connect with Kinza again. Our conversation really started with the difficulties of the unknowns right now in the world of COVID-19. It really is a, what's that ride? Uh, roller coaster. Roller coaster. It really is because you can get a good piece of news and it kind of carries you throughout the day and you're like, oh, I have, I have a, a deadline for something. I have, a, I have a purpose coming up short term that now makes me just have a little more motivation and energy to do these little things today. And then you get other news and it just kind of, you can just, you can feel and hear the deflation in your body just go, oh, well, I guess, you know, and then, then the things you're motivated to do, you're no longer motivated to do because you're like, well, I just don't have the energy now. Or So it's, I think, no wonder some of us are really saying a lot, I'm tired. I don't know why I'm not doing anything hugely physical, but I think it's, it's that emotional, you know, you read an article, um, it can really put you in a funk or it can really give you hope. And I think just emotionally, we're going through so much, all of us, that it's making us more tired than normal. To try and get off that roller coaster and create some structure and purpose and meaning in her days, Kinza created a program that she calls Karaoke with Kinza. Initially, she hoped to play live with the singer over an online platform and then share that music online. But as it turns out, technology can't replace being in the room with someone. I tried to do simultaneous collaborating with people online and it wasn't working. There's actually a really funny blooper video that I made with someone and as she was singing, I heard her behind me. So I thought, oh, she wants the tempo slower. So I slowed the tempo down and she stopped and said, can we have it more up tempo? And I said, sure, I'm, that's what I'm used to. Let's do it again. As I'm playing, she's behind me, almost a bar. So I thought, okay. And we had to stop after a page, it wasn't working. Later, when she sent me the video of that from her end in Toronto, I was behind her the whole time. But what I was hearing was what I had to trust. And she was behind me, but she could hear me on her end being behind her. And so it just proved that we can't do this together. So, but, but my line of work is, is collaborating. I'm a collaborative pianist. How do you do that if you can't be physically on the same property as someone or in the same room? It, there's got to be a way. So I thought, well, I've done this before for people where I've recorded an accompaniment to help my students, you know, practice along with. So I thought, well, that could work if I pre-recorded an accompaniment and had someone sing over top. It's not ideal. You're not making music together, but it's, let's see what happens. So it was more of an experiment to see if it sounded like we actually were doing it together at the same time. And it also gave me a reason to play music. Um, I had several hundred requests um, I haven't done them all and not everyone has recorded because they're, they want it to be perfect or they're still learning the music or they can't seem to sync the video with the audio or whatever the reasons are. But the ones that have come back, to me, they sound like we're in the same recording studio at the same time. What's interesting about it is that for sure it's not music making at all <laughs> because when you get together live, you as a pianist anyway, I don't know what the singers are thinking, but you're always thinking, okay, they're showing me their phrasing. I know where the pinnacle of their phrase is. Okay, how much 
time do they need to breathe to go into the next phrase? How much rubato do I need to give them? What tempo do they want in the beginning? Um, all that has to be decided beforehand. I have to decide on a tempo that will work for them and how much retard to do and all that. So it's a little weird because I'm, I'm pre-deciding all of that before the singer even <laughs> learns the song. So when they sing over top, they're forced to go with my shape. And uh, so it's, it's almost the opposite of what actually happens in real life where the pianist is of course collaborating with, but really following and sensing what the singer needs in the moment, not being pushy and going, we're doing this. So it's been interesting. And so I, I sing along in my head, of course, trying to be the singer while I'm playing the accompaniment. And, um, you know, playing no wrong notes, like doing the whole thing through on my own without messing up is, is difficult because you're always with someone else and you feel like they're getting more of the limelight. So you're less nervous when you're playing for someone live, when it's just you playing for what you know is being recorded. I must say my nerves just go and it's um, what the likelihood of making an error is huge. So, you know, a five minute song, a two minute song could take me half an hour to an hour to actually do. But that's, that's how it started. I needed some, some music in my daily life and a reason to select certain pieces. And so I, I put it out to other people to make those decisions. I really appreciate the clarity that Kinza was able to bring to the term collaborative pianist. When I started singing many years ago, we only called them accompanists. And over the years, collaborative pianist has become the term to use. And now you can really see why. It is a reminder that making music is a collaboration. This is like Doug and his point about the audience being in conversation with a performer. If you're making music with a pianist or any other musician, you are listening and creating together in the moment. It's really a duet, much more than people realize. It's about feeling each other, the breath, the body. You see, you hear, and together creating the musical moment. And that turns out to be one of the most satisfying things about being a collaborative pianist. And I really felt for Kinza and her frustration at trying to create this project. She wanted it to be meaningful for herself and others, but there's such an obstacle in the way. You can clearly hear that it's much more time-consuming and frustrating to produce for online. So what helps her continue on with this project? Just this morning, I almost was in tears from a student uh, who wrote me and said, you know, I was just listening to one of your projects with karaoke with Kinza and I just, I started to weep at your playing. And I just thought, like, that's, that's what I hope people have emotion while they listen to it, whether it's to me and the singer, just me, just the singer, just the words, whatever. Um, as long as it touches people. So when, I, and I know it probably does all the time, but people don't let you know. And so to be, to be told that is, and this person means a lot to me anyway. And, and um, I'm not surprised that this person wrote this, but it was just nice to, to read it. Cause you're like, Oh, I am, you know, being appreciated or, or my art is making a difference. I guess that's what art we want art to do, whether it makes, we just want people to feel emotions because it's all pro bono. I'm not charging for this. So it's nice to know that it's a gift I'm giving to people and that it's, you know, that people are enjoying it.
you haven't asked me about my most rewarding moment, but that I'm going to launch into that, which is so far it's been um, the most touching. And that is someone who wanted an accompaniment because she wants to sing a song that her, is her grandmother's favorite and her grandmother is in the hospital and can't have any visitors. And so she wants to be able to on FaceTime, FaceTime her grandma, play the music in the background and sing to her grandma. And I just thought, sometimes when we think about sharing music, we think about big theaters and the red velvet seats and how many people are there and how many jewels I'm wearing on my, you know, but actually when I was younger playing concerts in old folks' homes as a pianist, I got the most wonderful feelings and feedback from those performances. But I just thought, that's why, that's why I'm doing this. I asked Kinza, how will this impact her work going forward? What has producing for online taught her? When you're playing live, you're constantly, your antenna, your antennae are constantly on the alert of what a singer what any sort of turn they might do in the music that's slightly different each time they do it. Um, you're, you're playing with the acoustics of the hall you're in, in the moment, the piano is always brand new. Maybe you've had 10 minutes to play it, but it's a very new instrument to you. So you're, 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 you're trying to speed date the piano. Um, at the same time that you're having 10 eye for the singer at the same time that you're trying to, do what's best for the acoustic of the hall, not just the size of the hall, but how many people are in there um, to make it the most, you know, magical um, performance of that piece. So none of that goes on in what I'm doing now. And I'm trying not to let that bother me because that's actually what makes live performance so great. And, and what makes playing so satisfying in a way is, is the liveness and is the spur of the moment decisions based on what your antennae are telling you to do to make something, you know, I bet I could play that even softer in this space and it will still, you know, hit the back row. And so I really miss, I really miss that. Um, and not that we ever do our art for applause, but man, the, the moment right after something's done in that hush, which is where magic fairy dust comes down and people feel the most, and then the applause. I mean, that's just, you're just reassured that what you're doing is, is pleasing people. And so all of that is missed here too. So I don't know how any of what we're doing now with this pre-recording on online in our own little living rooms, how, how any of that can, if anything, it'll just make the live performances even more special, realizing that you get to do this now that we've missed this for so long and we were so glad that we get to um, feel that way again. She makes me miss live performance so much. You can see some of the performances that Kinza has collaborated on at a distance on her YouTube channel. You can find that link on the Listening Party webpage. My final guest on the podcast today is Rachel Fenlin. Victoria music lovers will know Rachel well. She was born and raised here, and Rachel was with Pacific Opera in January when she performed to a full house at the Bauman Centre in recital. She's breaking new ground. She's a soprano who accompanies herself. It's an amazing thing to be in the room for. 
Because she can accompany herself, she was a natural choice for us to invite as the first artist in our new series of Lunchbox Opera Concerts, which will be taking place online and will launch on Friday, May 22nd at 1 p.m. You'll be able to hear Rachel in concert, online, on demand, as of that date and time, at pacificopera.ca. She's shared with me that this concert will include a wide selection of songs, including a few big song cycles. I'm quite excited. The composers she's considering right now include Glass, Grieg, Barber, Schumann, and Messiaen. Now, you would think that a singer who can accompany themselves is good to go for online sharing during social distancing. But for Rachel, that was not enough. She's taken it one step further. She's taking requests from the public. She's learning and performing a new song every day. That's right, every day, and shares these requests as posts on her Instagram account. I spoke to Rachel from the farmhouse she's living in by herself outside of Berlin. Now, usually on the podcast, I give you a little heads up about maybe the intermittent quality of internet. And really, I've been having such good luck with connection. I didn't do it yet in this episode, but you will notice the difference from me speaking to someone in Guelph <laughs> and me speaking to someone in Berlin. Today is day 16. I haven't, I haven't posted it yet, but I've recorded it. Day 16. And you have how many requests lined up right now? Um, 62 requests. 62. Um, and what kind of feedback are you getting from people online? What kind of comments? You know, I was so, I've been really surprised by the comments. Um, a lot of people, I kind of, I didn't know what to expect when I was, when I started. And a lot of people say it means a lot to them that they listen to it every day. And I'm, that surprises me that people say, oh, I, by the way, I tune in or I've had a lot of people tell their friends and then they start to follow me. And so that's been really nice. And also to hear um, from people who've never, who I've never met in person or who've um, never come to a concert and just to hear what they, they, their take from what I, who I am or what I'm doing. And a, a lot of people, I guess, um, say that they feel that it's really genuine and intimate. And that makes me super happy because that means that it's speaking to people as an artist, you're not always sure if you are, and you really hope that you are, but you're not sure. How can you be sure of that? How many days are you committed to learning a song a day? What did you set as the, well, the finish line? That's a question. <laughs> um, I did it when I thought quarantine was going to be over uh, in three days, but it's not going to be over in three days. And I never imagined I would have now, it would, I think it's like 75 requests total. I never would imagine that. And, you know, I kind of, I meant this, yeah, I, I feel bad if I don't do some, but I think I'll just do it for as long as it feels like the right thing and maybe it will stop feeling like the right thing. And also maybe people will get really sick of my videos. <laughs> if she's waiting for us to tire of it, she might have to wait a while. Her views for each video average between four and 500 people. She could have just played songs she already knew and shared those, but instead, Rachel's creating community through her requests and pushing herself as an artist and discovering what vulnerability looks like in this new reality. What inspired Rachel to start this particular project? 
probably like a lot of us right away felt this very strong reaction to what was happening and thought I have to fight against this like because like so many people I had three months of work just boom gone performing performing and everything you work towards everything it's just gone and it's like devastating and and I was trying to think about it and I couldn't really it was so fuzzy the first couple of weeks and basically the idea just like really popped into my head one day because I was I was just like in the shower I was like thinking I this is a great time to learn a lot of repertoire and just things I would never learn and then it really just came I was just thinking thinking you know what I should just and I really am not great at putting myself out there with recordings online because it always feels so permanent it feels scary feels vulnerable feels also that other thing of like showing off so it's not usually what, where I gravitate towards but I thought what if we do something together where like I people basically can just ask for what they want to hear I get to a learn your repertoire also discover what people like and everyone has such different song taste kind of get outside of my comfort zone and also be vulnerable because I think that's the thing we're as artists we're used to being vulnerable all the time when we're performing and it's like what is vulnerability when you're like by yourself in your house and so that's what I wanted to also push a lot was just thinking just like really going as far as I can on my own but some days I really mess up because it's pretty hard I mean I had to learn you know like Brahms von Ewig Liebe overnight and that was super hard and I made mistakes in the Zwischenspiel and whatever because I just did it right so. But this also strikes me, you know, I've watched a number of your Instagram posts of the songs you've learned with your stories about them. And I am sort of blown away that you memorize the piano accompaniment as well. Right. So why, <laughs> I'm going to ask, why is, that an, <laughs> why is that an important piece of the, pro, of the project for you? Or why, or why is that yeah. part of your process as an artist? I think that's more a selfish thing. I do it for myself because it's a huge challenge. And I know that memory is a muscle and I have to like really keep it in shape. And also you get to learn about yourself, how you memorize things really quickly, which I think, you know, we were taught when we were younger, at least when I was a young pianist, I was taught a lot um, to, you, you would get a piece and your teacher would say, okay, come, like, just memory exercises. And then we kind of stopped doing them when we were older. Say so other people are doing crossword puzzles, but you're memorizing like <laughs> Brahms leader accompaniment. Um, I have to ask, I also wonder um, what it's giving you in terms of interpretation. Like, is there a gift? Do you notice the difference from when you look at a page from when you don't have to look at a page at what you can do? Yeah, exactly. Actually, there's not, it's like night and day for me because it's, because I accompany myself and already that can be so restricting. That's for me the key to feeling the most free because you don't feel that free when you're looking at the music. You know that as well. It's, there's, there's always something in between you and the music. So the moment you remove that, there's nothing in between. And even if you mess up, you can improvise. So it's, yeah, that's, I mean, also for example, when I did the POV recital or any recital I, that I accompany myself, I always play from memory. Even if I know, okay, I might make a mistake or two, it's still worth it because you feel free. You are someone who sings and plays the piano at the same time mm -hmm. uh, and not just standard repertoire, pretty adventurous repertoire for people. Um, 
that you know involves prepared piano and you're plucking strings and you're playing things <laughs> um what sparked that passion for you in that project because it's um i'm, I'm going to say i think it's unusual in the industry to see it so you're a maverick in my mind um, what, <laughs> what inspired you to be a maverick i think i have to jump in here and give a little bit of backstory Rachel started out with piano lessons when she was a child, and she moved to voice as a teenager. At the time, she gave up her dream of becoming a concert pianist. It was in her voice lessons, as a teen, that it occurred to her that she should just accompany herself. But of course, her teacher told her that singers don't do that, which they don't. And so she let it go. But years later, she was in a summer residency program, as a singer, and that old niggling need came back up. Why don't I just play for myself? And so, she asked the artistic director of the program if she could play for herself in the upcoming recital. I said, um, that, what, what do you think about accompanying me, accompanying myself? And he was sort of like, okay, well, let's hear it. And then, and I was so nervous, and I used the music, and it was Schubert. I was really, really nervous. I was really nervous he would say no. And then he was like, yeah, you should do this. And I did it. And then the first feeling in the concert, and you know what this feels like as well, um, I'm sure, but it's the feeling when you're in a, in a performance that you're the most authentic that you've ever been. And that's how I felt when I accompanied myself. And I never felt like that before. So that's what it was. And then I thought, okay, so now I know, and this is, I have to devote my life to this. And did people come and try and talk you out of it? Did you get a lot of pushback or were people oh, mean to you? Rebecca, I got so much like the first, because the problem was the first two years, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> so I really had to fail. Like I really truly failed in recitals often. And I would throw a lot of house concerts. I would find any occasion to do anything. And people would say, even people in the audience would say, mm, you know, it always polarized people anyway, but I just still knew it was the right thing. And also some people really did say, okay, this, this, this means a lot, or this, this really moved me or, and you kind of go with those comments. But I think the important thing was I just had to get better at it before I felt that anyone could actually really judge it. I mean, if they don't like it, they don't like it, but they can't say you don't do it. Right. Um, but I, I'll tell you one funny story. I won't mention any names, but I did an, I did an audition here in Berlin and it was for a, a lead festival. And I did the audition and I played in St. Schubert. And this was a couple of years ago. So I was like, already it was quite developed, but not, not, it hadn't taken the leap it's taken in the last year and a half, I'd say. And I played and sang Im Frühling by Schubert. And after I finished and I thought I did, I was in the zone. Afterwards, there was a panel of six people, all men, by the way. And one person got up and he just started yelling at me. He like started like he literally got like his finger and he, he walked over to the piano. He's like, how dare you do this? This is insulting the art form. You know, you don't understand high art. He said the, the furthest I'll ever I, I'll tell you these things. You can leave it in the podcast or take it off. But that the, he said to me the words that the furthest you'll ever go with this is old people's homes or rotary clubs. And like, um, so you better get focused back on your career if you, if you want to be a singer. And I held it together. I had this very weird out of body experience, 
where I sat on the piano bench and couldn't believe someone was saying that. And then I walked out of the room, collapsed on the floor, <laughs> like bawled my eyes out. And then I just sort of thought, okay, weirdly, that gave me, in a very weird way, kind of gave me permission because I was like, nothing can be worse than someone saying that. And I still want to do it. No one can tell you how to express yourself. You just have to do it. That's also what I got from that experience was someone saying that I couldn't express myself like that made me realize, actually, you can't say that to someone. <laughs> Imagine someone saying that to like Tarkovsky or something. Like, not that I'm that, but not at all, but just that we're human beings being artists. This really speaks to Doug's point about the grain of sand. It's all perspective. Receiving a harsh criticism like that, she could have given up and not followed what her heart was telling her to follow. But instead, she was able to recognize her own artistic voice and follow her path with renewed conviction. Which leads her to what she's doing today, which is groundbreaking. What I love about Rachel is I think she's empowering the next generation of singer. Often emerging artists think that there's only one road, one way to succeed, and that road always has to go through the Metropolitan Opera. But that's not true. There's so many different ways for professional singers to express themselves and share their gifts with us. And I love that Rachel is breaking new ground for what a career as a singing artist can look like. She has such a varied musical life. I had to ask Rachel about what she's listening to out there in the forest in Germany. It's not so deliberate, but it, I, I think I have the time right now to get lost in recordings. So, and I love listening to recordings. So I actually have been listening to this like really beautiful time of French pianism um, with some wonderful female French pianists. So I had no idea that there's like this total generation of incredible French pianists. Um, Marcel Mayer, uh, Monique Ass, um, de, uh, what's it? Monique, no, de la brocholerie, like there's just this glorious um, generation of French pianists, female pianists, who, and it, that's really inspiring me. So I'm just listening to these kind of like endless box sets of, of these recordings. I, in general, really gravitate towards solo piano music to listen to. Like I'm quite a pianophile, is what people say. So, um, so I've been listening to just enjoying getting lost in that world right now. I think because there's the time to just really go for it. You can hear the artist she's talking about on the Spotify playlist that was created for this podcast. But before we leave, Rachel, I did have one more question. What is she discovering in this moment from producing music this way? I think... It's a good opportunity to explore what that virtual relationship is like, but it's nothing like what we do on stage. And it's actually like learning a completely different thing. You're suddenly have to have the same energy or if not more energy. And all you have is a lens in the corner of the room. You have to somehow get to a place where you can like, you know, it's a very, making music is always for me a very like spiritual thing. And you have to get to this kind of, place the zone with a lens sitting there and we're used to getting to the zone with the lights on us or 
the audience or this energy that you can't um, replace. So it's working with that energy is super interesting because it, it is possible. It's just a different process. <laughs> um, so that is a thought about what I'm discovering, but I, I really have to say, it, I think we're just feeling, you know, I mean, for myself, yesterday was super emotional. I was, do, I was doing Britain Sally Gardens and I couldn't get a take of it without crying. And I think the most, the thing I realized, and I said it out loud to myself, was I just want to be around people. I want to do this with people. I can't do this in this room by myself. And so realizing that we are, we are just filling a, a void that, and we're doing the best we can. And we're, I almost feel, and maybe I would change my mind about this, but I almost feel like us musicians who are reacting right now, it's more political than it is that this is the way of the art form, but it's much more to say, Hey, we still have a voice, you know, you cut us first and you have to, and I understand that, but you know, so it's much for me, it came from that place of like, you can't, we can't be silenced kind of thing. I mean, it can't be the, it can't be the future, but it just goes to show how many people are out here that love this and they can't live without it. We can't live without each other. It's true in our daily lives, and in our passion for gathering around music. All three of my guests, with very different projects, spoke with great feeling about the loss of the audience. It's not about the applause. It's about being in the room together. The audience is essential. Just as the performer shares energy with any collaborators, the viewer is part of this conversation. And when you, the audience, are missing, the artist struggles to continue to produce. I'm grateful to all the artists who are pushing past this sadness and loss and still sharing their songs, their music, their creative energy. The online platforms and all this technology will never replace what it is when we are all together in the same room, sharing not only the experience, but contributing to the artist's ability to create that experience with us. For now, please check out these online offerings from Rachel, Kinza, and Doug. As of today, the Listening Party podcast moves to a monthly offering. And you can hear the next episode on the first Friday of June. There will be a different program launched every Friday at 1 p.m. You can hear singers in their living rooms with acoustic afternoons. You can hear and see archival clips from shows over the last 10 years. And Inside Opera, hosted by Robert Holliston, will have special guests and be part of our monthly catalogue of offerings. I'm very excited by our programming online, and we have lots of great things in store for you. I encourage you to come back and visit the website often to keep up to date with all that we're curating to share with you. Thanks for joining me today. Don't forget to check out past episodes and past playlists on Spotify, and if you have a musical memory you'd love to share with me, please send me an email, listeningparty at pacificopera.ca. Until the next time, stay safe, be well. I'm Rebecca Haas. Thanks for listening.